Oh, hey there, zombie fans. It's me, Stuart. I was really hoping that it would not just be me again this week, but our uh, noble and virtuous leader, H.A. Conrad, is in COVID quarantine and uh, cannot, cannot make it to a microphone. And that is a huge bummer for me, and I'm sure for, I'm sure for so many of you too. However, I will not let you go a week without some sort of zombie stuff. So I thought, first of all, I wanted to at least speak to a cool book that I just finished recently. And maybe a lot of people have read this, but on the off chance you haven't, check out X Heroes by Peter Kleins. It's one of like four or five in a series. It's the first one. Um, I, I caught wind of it through um, a listicle online saying, you know, like, hey, there's here's some good zombie novels. And this was, and it's uh, it's not just zombies; it's also superheroes, and that's kind of an interesting combination. And it's a it's a decent story; it's well written. Uh, I burned through it pretty quickly. So, X Heroes by Peter Kleins, check it out. Um, and otherwise, I really hope that I can honestly say we'll be back next week. Let's see what happens. Um, so, stay tuned. In the meantime, we've got another one out of the vault for you. This one is Day of the Dead, nineteen eighty five, classic film the third in what i consider to be romero's you know triumvirate of victory and uh yeah we we reviewed this back in 2014 but i'm dragging it back out into the sunlight since it's uh it was getting dusty out there and in the archives so hope you enjoy it and uh we'll be back as soon as we possibly can and uh thanks for listening Day of the Dead, directed by George Romero in 1985. It's his third zombie film, or living dead film. Of, of those three, his least successful. Mm-mm. But with the largest budget of uh, $3.5 million. Um, and uh, it did pretty well. Got, I mean, well, it, it, did, it did poorly in theaters, but that did pretty well afterwards um, it, on VHS, netting about, uh, or grossing rather, uh, some thirty million dollars, so not a bad, uh, not a bad run. No, I mean I think it was supposed to have a much larger budget, so they ended up having to retool a lot of things when they realized their budget wasn't going to be so large. Yeah. Um, but I'd also like to point out that a lot of this takes place or was filmed in Florida, and now I'm going to blame Romero for zombie-related news that we have seen in Florida. <laughs> it could be. That's, that's yeah, that's what's to blame. Um, I, what I don't get about this whole budget reduction thing is Romero also described the film that he was going to make as Gone with the Wind with zombies. Well, I think he meant um, the amount, the budget for it. Because Gone with the Wind was an extraordinarily expensive film. I mean... So I don't know what he had had originally planned. I actually tried to see what he had had originally planned, and it was a little tough to find. But, I mean, the basis is, this is in the same world as Dawn of the Dead. Different right. characters, but it's basically the aftermath of the zombie outbreak. And um, I think it's safe to say it's in the same world as Night of the Living Dead, too, 68. Yeah, it's just like each film has progressed the uh, the meta story, so like Night of the Living bit. Dead being the first day, uh, Dawn of the Dead being 
maybe it's it's definitely not the first day anymore because of all the crazy shit going on with the projects raid and all that stuff. So that's probably a couple weeks into it, maybe months. And then uh, that Day of the Dead is certainly it could be years into this process at this point. We never really get a totally clear idea of how long they've been at it. Um, and, you know, Romero actually often cites this as being his favorite out of all of these, which is interesting because I don't, you know, maybe because they talk a little bit more about what's happening with the zombies. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the, the most medical. Um, right. Because that's a big part of the, the plot is like trying to figure out what motivates them and stuff like that. Um, Romero has described it as a tragedy about how a lack of human communication causes chaos and collapse, even in this small little pie slice of society. Calling the, considering that most of this uh, piece of society is like in a mine shaft underground, I don't know if you could call it a society necessarily. But the, the, so we, we're dealing with another ensemble cast, uh, as we kind of like we were with. Um, Dawn of the Dead, except now our ensemble has grown. It's uh, quite a bit larger, although there is a, a lot of these cast members don't really get much in the way of uh, dialogue. Um, but they're a little bit, I mean, I, I think in terms of the, the zombie extras in this, there's a little bit more to them than we've seen in the previous films. Well, one specific uh, right. <laughs> standing out there, Bub. I actually um, just found a little bit of what he had originally had planned. And basically it just involved, it was a lot more involved his original script in terms of the facility and taking the plot line with, um, you know, the, the bub type idea and making that into a, like a trained army of zombies. So <laughs> I don't know if a more budget would have helped uh, in that I don't regard. Either. That so sounds like put, some serious this is, story. This is, this is from IMDb, the trivia about it. So yeah. um, I'll put that in the show notes or put this in so you can see it. But um, it's, it, I don't know. I feel like there, there's definitely this sense with this film or and with all Romero, Romero films. I mean, I think he definitely has some ideas he's trying to put across. But I also have the sense that this is a bunch of people that really enjoy making zombie films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's an interesting thing. And you see different people pop up again and again and again. Wait, Greg Nicotero is actually in this film. Yeah, he's in this. This was actually the first film that Greg Nicotero did anything on in terms of makeup. And he was basically working under Tom Savini. And Romero. Um, Speedy and he, won, uh, won an award for makeup in this film, actually. Yep. Uh, he won a Saturn Award. And, you know, Nicotero has a pretty heavy string of credits behind his name. Mm-hmm. And it's not just zombie stuff. I mean, he did all the makeup in, uh, or he was supervising the makeup in Chronicles of Narnia. And just, it, it's kind of an endless list. Um so it's, you know, it's, it's very cool to see him pop up here. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but so we, uh, should we dig into some of the, the story or do you want to, um, go by theme thematic order or how would you like to approach this? Um, I mean, we can talk a little bit of the story. I mean, in the, in the setup, there is, you know, you get introduced to the main characters pretty quickly. It's a small cast in terms of the human well, yeah. characters. The main, the main, there's, 
there's like 12 or so humans, but you only really ever interact with them as an audience with like six or seven of those. Right. Um, and I guess the, who the, one of the main people that it revolves around is uh, Dr. Bowman, Dr. Sarah Bowman, and she's played by uh, Laurie Cardiel, who I just kept thinking looked like um, Joe or Nancy McKeon from The Facts of Life. Like, I couldn't get over that. <laughs> so okay. it, was a, it was a very 80s thing. Um, so she's your, your main female character. And it is interesting seeing how the female characters have evolved from Night of the Living Dead until this. Because even in um, the Dawn of the Dead, uh, the character, Galen Ross's character, is just kind of passive a lot of the time. I mean, she eventually takes control, but this this character is definitely hardcore, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say, compared to some of his others? Yeah, and um, she apparently, the actress has mentioned that anytime she tried to play her role more emotionally, um, Romero would correct her and be like, no, you are, you know, you're a, a hard ass, you're a scientist, <laughs> and you're a scientist with an Uzi. Uh, not using those words necessarily, but that, that you know that's kind of how she comes across is uh, just total badass. She might be the the Peter of the uh, of this film, or maybe John is. I can't tell. But she's like the totally capable, barely ever breaks down, or, or you know has any uh, cracks in her armor. She's just pretty badass. And she's also super smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's doing research. So there's her. Um... There's in terms I, I want to I don't want to call them like the the good camp but there's uh, they basically are it's the so civilians civilians and military in terms of what we've got with with the human cast and the the civilians are basically the good guys right well with um, one notable exception right um and so in addition to Dr Bowman you've got um John who is played by Terry Alexander. And then um, Bill, who's played by Jarleth Conroy. Um, and so those are, are and, and, you know, our John, John is basically the helicopter pilot, right? That's his role, and that's what makes him indispensable. And then and, Bill is the mechanic, which right. in theory makes him indispensable too. But I don't really see how that, since he can't really make anything work, it's like a constant complaint uh, from the military side. He's like, he's... He's unable to uh, get a lot of the equipment going in the way that they want it to be going. Right. And there's a couple of other doctors. You've got uh, Dr. Logan, who is called Frankenstein a lot. And he's basically doing a lot of experiments to see if there could be a cure or what makes the zombies tick. He reminds then, me of uh, Beaker's boss. In, he uh, totally does. <laughs> the Muppet Show. What's that guy's name? Uh, isn't it Dr. Bunsen? Some shit, yeah. Like Bunsen Burner. Um, <laughs> he has the same and hair and the same voice. He does. Um, I also remember him from Flight of the Navigator, a terrible 80s film. I loved that film. Wait, I know. What was, what was he in that? He was like, oh, actually, he was, uh, I think he was like a doctor or some, a researcher, scientist guy that was trying to capture the alien ship or something. Wonderful. Um, from what I remember, but I, I, it's been a long time since I saw that particular film. And he appeared in uh, Richard Liberty is the the actor who played Frankenstein, um, and he was in The Crazies, another uh, George Romero film from 1973. Mm-hmm. Um, and then rounding out the the doctor 
um, group is Dr. Ted Fisher, who, you know. Fairly ineffectual, yeah. large mustache, small goatee. Uh, I don't trust people where the mustache is bigger than the goatee for whatever reason. So. I don't either. I thought he was going to be something else. I thought something else was going to happen with him. But anyway. Um, and then the other part of the cast is really the military part. Um, there's Captain Henry Rhodes, who's kind of crazy. Um, uh, Private Salazar. Yeah. Um, it's Steel and then the rest of them, Private Torres. Steel and Rickles and well, and then nobody else even has lines. Basically, no, it's, they're uh, just kind of hanging out. So Miller, I mean, Torres, Johnson, which is Greg Nicotero's character, and I'm trying to remember. Is, if I say he's the one with the beard, I mean mo- they all have beards because they it's all have beards. Uh, but I feel like he's the Kenny Loggins guy who gets his throat ripped out or something. Mm, so many of them get. Doesn't that happen to all of them? Yeah. Um. But, you know, so basically, I mean, the the main part of this cast is that you've got the civilians slash doctors pitted, not pitted against, but kind of pitted against the military because everybody's stressed out. There's been no communications. They've been kind of placed in this area to be able to study the zombies and see if they can find a cure or find some sort of answer. Mm-hmm. And things are just not going very well. Um but, you know, I feel like the difference, though, between this and, say, Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead is that the humans actually have some sense of what's going on. It's not just a, this happened and we're reacting to it. This is, there's been enough time, so we're reacting to it and we need to basically get out of the situation. Right? Run that by me again? So I think the big difference between Day of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead is that in Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead, this is a surprise to the humans that this is all happening. Like it's them discovering that this outbreak has happened. And in Day of the Dead, they know that it's happened. They're just kind of figuring out what's next. I, I I guess like I, I think I might be a little more pedantic and say Dawn of the Dead. They know it's happening. They're still coming to terms with how fucked they are as a society. Whereas mm. Night of the Living Dead, they're like we're fucked right here and right now. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is like holy shit, our municipal government and television and all that kind of shit is breaking down. And then by the time you get to Day of the Dead, that's already a, an established fact. <laughs> and this is just well, that- what's left of of the government and the military trying to. I don't know, dig themselves out of the problem that they're in. I think they're just slightly layered uh, going down into hell. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and, you know, the majority of this movie takes place underground, too. Yeah, and these scenes were all shot in Pennsylvania in a, in a mine shaft, whereas all the above-ground scenes were shot uh, in, in Florida, which is where Romero was living at the time. Which is kind of interesting. He was just like, you know what? I don't want to leave my place, so we'll just do all the, these scenes here. Because, well, the military base is supposed to be in the Everglades. Right. Um, anyway. But yeah, everything else was shot in a mine shaft, and apparently it was so difficult to get to that the cast and crew were often um, sleeping there overnight to uh, to film these scenes, and the, the humidity inside the mine shaft was very difficult on all their equipment. I can imagine it would have been difficult on their psyche, too. <laughs> Sleeping in a mine shaft for who, who knows how long the shoot was. Yeah, I can. Yeah, uh, and you can definitely uh, see like uh, breath 
frost, you know, like uh, the clouds of breath in, in some of those uh, tunnel scenes, it looks cold and wet and yeah. that would have been disastrous. It looks no fun. Um, but, you know, the other scene is, is that I, it's fascinating to me just seeing the difference in the makeup and the um, the filming because it's only it was what, like there's not that much time and enough time that this looks like an 80s film to me. Mm-hmm. Um, just with how it's set up. Um, and the makeup is definitely massively improved from Dawn of the Dead and the effects, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, with the with a couple of those exceptions where, like, Roger's um, makeup had been fantastic in that film, but he was one of the few zombies that looked that good. He was, but I think a lot more zombies looked good in this. Exactly, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I am agreeing with you. I'm just saying, like, Tom Savini had already shown how good he could be Oh yeah, but, but only was, in the case of like one or two zombies who uh, he, I, he must have spent like you know twelve hours on their makeup versus uh, maybe he had methods that could do that faster for for more of these like extra zombies now. Well, maybe he had makeup, and obviously he had more of a staff, I think. So, and I think um, part of the beginning of this film is is kind of a showcase of now like this is what we can do now, you know, like um, if you. So the film begins with a, a weird dream sequence, which we're unfortunately we have to go through a few of these with Sarah, Sarah Bowman, um, yeah. where she's like looking at a calendar with all the days marked off in in October, and she's yearning fully looking at the the picture, which is like people in a pumpkin patch, and then zombie arms come out of the wall, and she wakes up in this helicopter, and they're flying to the city of well, they don't say what city it is. It happens to be Fort Myers, and uh, spring training. Their plan is to land there and get on a bullhorn and find survivors. Right. Which, is, which they're, they're not successful doing, really. <laughs> but what they are successful in doing is waking up all the zombies that were uh, dormant or whatever in this town. And and this is where we get like a, a several shots of, of very elaborate makeup uh, zombies, uh, followed well, by also just crowd scenes of, of uh, less made-up zombies. Well, and the main zombie that was mentioned in that Fearnet article makes its little appearance here. And it's basically um, a a zombie that is kind of walking around with the lower jaw ripped off. And then, like, at some point, while the zombie's walking around, the tongue just and part of the jaw just fully fall off. I mean, it's pretty gruesome, but very well done. Yeah. And it looked animatronic, didn't it? Like the, yeah. A little bit, yeah. It was pretty animatronic, but I mean, awesome for '85. Now I think the 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 Walking Dead version that Nicotero did was maybe there was some CGI in there, but that's a person. Yeah, no, yeah. and it's a woman in the Walking Dead, but um, it's it made me pretty happy to see that, and it was like, oh, Nicotero. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but in this opening scene where Sarah and um, Salazar, Miguel Salazar, a soldier, get out of the helicopter while Bill and John stay in it to and, and threaten to fly away if any you know if the shit hits the fan. Bill and uh, is on the radio trying to like get raise anybody on the radio and Salazar's yelling into the megaphone. Um, d- have you ever heard the gorilla song that samples the beginning of this film? Yes, I have. It 
was uncanny. Like I, I've listened to that album. I've heard that song hundreds of times. This is actually the first time I've ever watched this film uh, all the way through. So that was my punching my V card on Day of the Dead. And as I watched this scene, while Salazar is yelling into the megaphone, "Hello, is there anybody there?" and uh, the synthesizer starts picking up. serious reaction to that because it was an unexpected connection you know well and i had heard uh the, the life with the thrill kill cult also samples a couple of things out of this but from later on in the film so it's just kind of funny how many different people have taken pieces of this especially yeah. i mean this is a popular film but i don't think that it has the level of popularity that that night of the living dead and dawn of the dead had yeah, uh, but apparently very popular amongst musicians to sample pieces and. <laughs> well, it's it's really well crafted. Like the beginning with his voice and the synthesizer picking up and then like panning and coming into that montage of different zombies, it's it's really well. I feel like the sound is really well crafted there. No, it um, is. It is, and it's it's good. It sets up the whole scene and the world. I think for the viewers too. Well, one area where I thought that the scene became silly (laughs) was uh the alligator in the library you know they just wanted to use an alligator they're like we're in florida if we can't fit an alligator into this movie somehow we're gonna fail like i like to imagine romero or savini whoever was doing this being like you know what would be really great here i got this buddy and he's got this alligator (laughs) and it won't even kill our extras it won't kill our exes. Just throw it in the middle of the scene. He'll just be happy hanging out there. That would be fantastic. And so, it, yeah, so there's an alligator. Another bone to pick with this scene is that when they fly over the city, it looks completely deserted. There are no people in the streets because apparently all the zombies just, like, went indoors. Yeah. To get out of like, the sun. I don't know. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And all of a sudden, when they start the bullhorn thing... And that's part of the, unva- uh, the you know, reveal and unveiling of these zombies is that they all have to... They can't just all be there already, or they wouldn't be dramatic enough. But I, I realism-wise, I take a bit of uh, I have a bit of a problem with that. Yeah, me too. Uh, and and this this uh, so the zombies all congregate, and they are so loud that the guys in the helicopter can hear them over the engine, uh, which is terrifying. And uh, we learn that Miguel is a little pansy and he runs away and Sarah's just standing there like, well, I guess, yeah, there's no survivors here because all the zombies in Fort Myers are just walking towards her down the street. Well, it takes her an awful long time to sort of make her running away plan too. It's sort of like, okay, I think you could have figured out that there's no survivors there a lot more quickly than you did. Um, yeah, honestly, flying know. around a deserted city in a helicopter is a much more effective way of getting people's attention than a megaphone, too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, one thing that I notice when, when we go back and watch some of these classic films, and it's not just with zombie films, it's with a lot of older films, um, I feel like I've been totally spoiled by the pacing of modern films and modern filmmaking because the editing tends to be pretty tight now. Mm-hmm. And the pace of films tend to be very fast moving to fit in whatever they want to. 
and there's good things and bad things about that, but I, I feel it a lot more watching a film like this because it's just, I have these, these reactions like, move on with it, man, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't know that that's necessarily a modern versus old problem so much as it is like uh, a bit of the prima donna director who doesn't want to cut any of his vision. Because like, I feel like you get this with Oliver Stone and, and, and mm-hmm. some, some of these, even to present day, like any uh, director who considers himself an auteur, you know, where it's like my vision has to be re- represented. And I think that that's kind of part of the problem is like nothing can get left on the editing room floor because it's all so precious. I guess. But in any case, I, I felt like the pacing here could have been sped up just a titch. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of true of... The uh, Dawn of the Dead. Also, there was some. There's a fair amount of downtime. Right. Or even like action scenes that are a little crazy, like pie in the face. Um, <laughs> but so the, the our little posse of uh, the three civilians and Private Salazar uh, fly back to where they were coming out of um, on their mission to find survivors. And uh, they land inside a, uh, a compound surrounded by a chain link fence. Nothing, nothing too strong. Uh, as soon as I, they land and get out of the helicopter, there's a couple soldiers there, like watering marijuana plants and reading a magazine. They seem very relaxed. Right outside the chain link fence, there's hundreds of zombies just pushing on the fence. And uh, I, I thought about the prison from The Walking Dead right away. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, except these zombies aren't really trying to break through that fence very hard. They just mostly, they seem pretty sedate, although Sarah is concerned that they're going to get riled up and tells everybody to just get inside. Right. Um, so uh, I thought that was actually a nice touch. There, there's a few things in this film that I enjoyed as, a, like, attention to detail. Uh, for instance, the fact that everybody is armed. Yep. I love that. Everybody's carrying a, a sidearm, at the very least, wearing holsters. And then that little statement, just like, you know what, um... Let's, we shouldn't be outside. Let's go inside or we'll wait till after dark to refuel the helicopter because they're just going to get too excited and break down the fence is her, her thinking. Yeah. Um, and I like, I like that, you know, you see just in the actions that happen within this is that, you know, even though they are civilians, they still have a, a say. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's like, okay, let's get inside. Like, she's kind of giving an order. Well, they are in charge in theory, uh, and I think I mean, that's, they that's are, the but old. It's... We also learn when they're still above ground that there's a new grave in the in the yard, and she's like, "Who's that?" And they say, "Major Cooper died," uh, and Major Cooper, it turns out, was the commanding officer of the military side of this operation, and under him, at least, the civilian. It was a civilian or a scientific mission that the military was just there to provide security and to facilitate what the the scientists needed. But um, as we go downstairs to the really cool elevator thing, um, we learn that things have changed. Yeah. Um, and the setup that they have in this mine is, like, super creepy. Well, it's and really weird. dark, yeah. Like, it's really dark. And, you know, they they basically... And you can already see the tension between the the doctors and the military um, from these initial reactions. And you know, I, like like Doctor Bowman, she she's constantly basically trying to just keep the mission going, but get it keep it going safely. Like she obviously cares about what's happening to the military that's helping them out. 
Um, but there's definitely, you can feel the trouble brewing already, even from these initial scenes in the mine. Oh, yeah. As soon as they walk into the, the mine, uh, the pilots are going off to their whatever. Like, they're just, they're like, okay, mission's done. This was a waste of time. They're all kind of pissed at Sarah. Sarah's unpopular because yeah. yeah, she's, she's a very... hard ass. Um, and so they're going off to do their thing. She's worried about this Miguel guy because he's obviously, like, having a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, the two most caricaturesque of the military guys drive up in the golf cart. The golf carts are also a pretty laughable element of the film. Yes. Um, And they're just like, get on here, soldier. We got to go get some more, what do you call them? I forget what, he used a weird name for them, like uh, crazies or or, um, something weird. He he didn't call them zombies uh, to go get them for Frankenstein because they need to, they are experimenting on the zombies for uh, the doctors. What kind of what we're learning we're also learning, though, that they're running out of personnel because with Major Cooper, now there's only 12 people in the whole compound. Mm-hmm. And um, so everybody's having to work really hard. Uh, these two soldiers, though, are Steel and Rickles. Rickles, yeah. who reminds me of like a short Bobcat Goldthwait, the way he, and he laughs like a hyena all the time. And he's always yelling. I don't think he has an indoor voice. He does not. And, you know, in the mind, that kind of echoes a lot. So that's annoying. Yeah, it's just a super annoying character. And then Steele uh, is probably the oldest private in the history of the United States military. <laughs> but he's really he, big. He's really big. And this particular actor always plays this kind of a character. Like he, you see him in a ton of like mafia type roles and things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, he's he always also... this character. <laughs> I feel like his character, uh, the look of his character, when you, if you were to like Google image search Private Steel, Day of the Dead, it's basically a picture of John Goodman from The Big Lebowski. (laughs) He's wearing like those, you know, shooting glasses. He's got a fatigue cap on backwards. He's a fairly big guy and he's got, you know, several days of beard on his face. He just, he looks just like, um, whatever, John Goodman. You know, I, I didn't think about it, but now that you're mentioning it, I think that that's about right. Yeah, so I don't know if that I don't know if uh, the Cohen brothers took any kind of uh, visionary, you know, guidance from that or or what. But so Steel steals the big bully um, of the military posse, uh, and here we we see like Miguel. Uh, Miguel's such a bitch. I hate Miguel so much. <laughs> Miguel's annoying. He's, He's always crying. He's the Stephen of this film to me. Like, oh, he anything. totally is. Um, and he's always bitchy. He's just. Annoying. Like, I don't need and... your help, but I really can't do anything. But I don't need your help. Well, I don't need your help or anyone else's. Yeah. Uh, so he goes along. Stop helping me. Yeah, because it, as it also becomes clear, he and Sarah are romantically involved. Huh? Yeah, I don't even know how that came about. It doesn't make that any I, sense. That I don't believe. Because she's such a badass and he is just so pathetic and incapable and maybe this is we're supposed to believe that he used to be like much more. Well, of it a could view. be maybe he was maybe this is part of the nervous breakdown piece, but I just I don't really believe that they would continue to be together even like this. So Yeah, doesn't make any sense. But she, so she goes along, now there's four of them driving off in the golf cart to a different part of the compound or the complex to um harvest two zombies from they have they're keeping zombies in a pen. A really big pen that you can't really see the back of. Um, and it's a really hair, not hair raising. I just find any scene where people are purposefully attracting zombies by making a lot of noise, 
I'm yeah. always like nails on a chalkboard. I'm just like, okay, yep. no, don't this do that. That's a good idea. Don't right. <laughs> um, and they're basically, I mean, they're capturing them like cattle. Like they have these little yeah. prods and like neck loop type contraptions to be able to bring them into where they want to. They, um, they have that little fancy gated thing so that they can control them mm-hmm. sort of. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like when they start making the noise and all the zombies start coming out of the woodwork, you're just like, uh, this is going to go very wrong, right? Yeah. So. I can, can you imagine even the process by which they got these zombies in here? They've got like 30 zombies in this corral somehow. Right. And it's also become clear because they're talking about the fact that they're running short and that they're going to have to go out and get more is that they have brought these down. So yeah. at some point they had to be above ground and sort of uh, herding them down into this mine pen <laughs> yeah area it's a it's a disastrous element like you can just see that this is the point of failure the biggest most obvious point of failure in their whole uh, complex their whole deal as like a, a secure area from zombies they brought zombies into it um so yeah it's, it's like okay yeah this is where the film is gonna go bad um and it kind of goes bad right away because miguel is terrible and uh, can't hold on to uh his zombie and lets it go and steel almost kills him. Sarah, Sarah saves the day basically like nobody, nobody dies, but right away we're like, Holy shit, they're doing dangerous shit with, with zombies and they don't really have any control over how this is going. All right. And I think also, um, Miguel is totally exhausted too. Um, so that's part of why, yeah, I mean, I think he's having a nervous breakdown, but I think he also hasn't slept and that's also why Sarah's worried about him. Yeah. Um, and he does, he almost, he almost takes a dive into a zombie mouth, which isn't good. Never good. Um, but, but luckily it ends happily. They get their zombies for testing and then Sarah gets, uh, Miguel into her room. Literally stabs him in the back with a sedative. And he's just, oh, God, everything about his character is annoying. Oh, I know. Even, like, honestly, when she stabbed him with the sedative, I was really feeling that it should have taken effect a lot more quickly because I didn't want to hear him talk anymore. <laughs> or just look at her all, like, accusingly and curl up fetally on the bed and be, like, crying to himself. It's just so pathetic. Um, and so she looks at him kind of, like, with a mixture of disdain and, and sympathy. Um and just goes to uh, meet up with Dr. Logan or Frankenstein. Right. His, uh, whose lab is very much like Franken- uh, like Dr. Frankenstein's lab, you would imagine. It's yeah. like super dark, oh. like rough uh, rock walls on, on some of the walls. He happens to have a zombie chained up on one of them that she almost stands really way too close to. Right, but I mean, I feel like Dr. Logan, this whole interaction with him is unveiling, you know, a a pretty dark piece, which is, you know, because it is, I mean, he is a Dr. Frankenstein. He's looking at it from a very, um, you know, sort of compartmentalized way of thinking, and he's really viewing it as an interesting scientific problem, right? He doesn't, I mean, he obviously has some empathy for them, but he really doesn't have any problem with eviscerating, um the bodies of their former colleagues. Um, he, he just looks at this as a fascinating thing. And, you know, Sarah's looks a little bit 
perplexed and upset because these are, you know, people that they've worked with and he's just kind of... Only one, I mean, when she finds out that he's actually got Major Cooper, then she's like, you've gone too far, this is bad. But I think she's totally okay with him uh, experimenting on the zombies. Well, right. But I mean, and so then this is the question and a little bit different from some of the, uh, I don't know how different, but, you know... You you kind of up until this point have viewed the zombies as being very mindless. There's no vestige of real humanity left in them. Just sort of like echoes, so that they're doing the things that they may have like done in the past. Like go to the mall, for example, or you know, like little things like that. Um, and basically, she is at odds with Doctor Logan because she wants to find a cure. He wants to basically just retrain the zombies to be union, u- human or find a way to control them. He's basically like, the horse has left the barn on this. We're not going to find a cure. It's going to take too long if it is even possible. So the best we can do is be- bend them to our will, what we've got. Yeah, he kind of so, thinks of them as dogs. Yeah, like that's exactly he's he's like, yeah, it's sort of like a dumb human or no, he doesn't say that. But that's sort of we call he says like this is just like you and me, except not operating at at, the same level. Um, But the way he interacts with his favorite zombie, Bub, is very much the way, you know, a dog whisperer would, you know, be like, do a trick. okay now you get a treat, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, no, he's doing positive and negative reinforcement, mainly positive, though, and. Negative yeah, um, is him taking a hand drill to uh, an unruly zombie's forehead. So right. <laughs> so with Bub, it, Bub, it's generally a positive um, reinforcement, and you know, I, I think Sarah is really horrified to see what he's done with uh, with Cooper, and you know, she's also trying to manage the quickly coming out of a control situation with the rest of the military that are left, specifically Captain Rhodes, who looks yeah. like he's about ready to lose his mind. Um, We're definitely Dr. getting into this story like at the point where everything is about to fall apart. And right. based on the, the chronology of the film, it, it, the whole movie takes place in basically, I think, a 24-hour to maybe 36-hour time period. It's basically an overnight, two, two days and an overnight. Does that make well, sense? Well, yeah, it is because um, basically the whole Day of the Dead thing, like the calendar that she's looking at is, I think it's supposed to be... <laughs> October 31st or something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, hinted at a few times. So um, I, it's a pretty quick little turnaround in the time frame. So Whenever I see, watch a movie where it's like... And these usually end badly, but you start off the film, there's like a bad situation. Then you're introduced to an area of control, uh, some sort of like safe place in that bad situation. And by the end of the film, that safe place is no longer safe. Um, I feel like it's it's always interesting how the timeline, where you come into that film on the timeline. Because obviously this has been a safe place that has been functioning for a fairly significant amount of time. But right. us as an audience, we only come into it and it apparently like it's last 24 hours um, in, the, you know, as it is now. And, and it, we just get to w- witness its total collapse because, as you said, Sarah is is worried about the relationship with the military. She's like, they might shut us down. I don't think she's even thinking about this as as dangerous as everybody seems. I would think, yeah, it was much more likely that they will kill all the scientists and just leave. Right. Um, and she doesn't even seem to think that's an, a possibility, which makes me think 
you know, I think that this is, well, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions, but it makes me think that things have been much more stable until very recently for her. Well, I mean, stable. And I mean, I think the big catalyst is obviously that Cooper has died and Rhodes now took over and Rhodes is definitely imbalanced and he doesn't really want to be there so yeah um, Rhodes is a is an insane character and and i think he does like a disservice actually to military officers everywhere no i think he does too and i i mean i think you can sort of draw the conclusion that perhaps he wasn't quite this unbalanced before and it's just these circumstances that are leading him to be kind of crazy that's um, certainly a possibility. All the military, none of the military people are acting with any kind of level of discipline. It, they're all, well, I mean, it's the 80s, so they're, they're all long hairs. <laughs> but, right. um, but, you know, the other piece is, though, is that I think that's part of the commentary is what do people in the military do when, you know, the the people that are giving the orders or the structure. I mean, obviously, the government is not really around anymore, so they've been set on this task and they haven't been in communication with anybody and no more survivors are coming in. So it's like, well, then who's in charge, right? Um, you've also and- got the situation where Romero is like, you know, still reeling for, or America is still reeling from Vietnam and the breakdown of discipline in, in American forces during that war. Mm-hmm. And when they're in the middle of the cold war where they weren't doing a draft, but they were definitely giving like uh, convicted criminals a second chance by like oh join the military and you won't have to do your time and so right. you've, you've got like yeah a double whammy if you will of uh, American military complex not looking super awesome to the American public right and I That's think reflected. it's not I, I don't think it's even thinly veiled I think it's pretty much out there and in your face that he's, he's throwing those themes in there um, I, just find, I just find it a little bit disappointing that there isn't a single member of this military group that is like you know, a professional. They're all basically wacky, crazy people. All the right. scientists and, are still doing their jobs, you know, except for Frankenstein. Well, I know. You would hope that there'd be at least one person in there that would be on their side or or the voice of reason, and that's just not happening. Yeah. It's basically military bad, scientists good. So and no. helicopter pilots kind of neutral good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah. you know, but but in any case, this is a quickly deteriorating situation. And, I mean, you do learn some things about the zombies through Dr. Frankenstein's, um, you know, little opening um, salve with Dr. Bowman. And you learn that he, he, he wants to show what he's been doing with Bub, the zombie. And basically, he's showing that they, there is a vestige of memory there, that there is an ability to train them. Although part of me while watching this was like, oh, the minute you let Bub off that neck chain, he's going to like go after him, um, which he doesn't. But, you know, it, it, he he's basically showing him different tools and different things from his past or, or from humans past to see if mm-hmm. he uses them. And this is the first time you really see that in this, you know, the, like before they're they're all just kind of wandering around right there's no indication that there's anything human left yeah Uh, yeah but i will point out the the reality of this kind of a plan so how long has it taken him to train bub you know how do you do that like this is not a viable plan like you gotta do this with all the zombies how is this even possible um so i don't know I think it would have been more useful to figure out what the weaknesses are and figure out how to herd them somewhere or, you know, perhaps stop the zombie onslaught somehow as opposed to, you know, 
working with your favorite pet zombie. Yeah, they call him a surgeon, but he he seems almost more like a behavioral psychologist who like scalpels, you know, like yeah. It, they definitely he should have been coming up with some kind of nerve gas or some yeah, some way to kill, you know, a, a couple hundred million zombies. No, that's not right. what he's been doing. No, it isn't. And and then you also, I mean, I think you see that at odds with what everybody else wants to do and they're like Sarah really did want to find a cure, I think, or find a way to stop them. And then she's just like, gosh, what are you doing in here? <laughs> yeah. So she seems frustrated with him. Um, she definitely has been, the tension is mounting with the military. Yeah, there's and- a whole scene in the, in the, where they have a sit down meeting where Rhodes is like, I'm the new sheriff in town. And he threatens to shoot her. And it, there's like a standoff with people pointing guns at each other. And it's barely, they barely come back from the brink of this. And hopefully you'd think that Sarah now sees the writing on the wall, but it doesn't really even seem that way. It doesn't seem that way. The only time that she's sort of like forced to view this is when um, our trusty helicopter crew basically make her see what's going on. And they're like, look, did you really, do you understand what that interaction just meant with Captain Rhodes? Like he doesn't care about you. The only people that are safe are the people that can get them out of here, which means us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even at that point, does she come up with a plan to get out of there? Not really. Not I really. Think she's, she's still like more interested in what Frankenstein is doing and how Miguel is doing, and she, although she does break up with him. Yeah. Well, or no, he breaks up with her. Yeah. And she really kind of, she's like, all right, I'm getting out of here. And she... Is this when she goes for a stiff drink? Seems yeah. like. Yeah, right after the breakup, she goes and gets drunk with the, the helicopter pilot crew. Um, but, you know, this is the point. She goes and, and is hanging out with them, and they have their own little hideaway in the mines where they've sort of dressed it up to look like a tropical island. And it is probably the last little corner of sanity that you're seeing here. Um, when she goes and hangs out with them, this is definitely normal people they're still having normal conversations like Mm -hmm. smoking and drinking and it's also that little pocket of safe haven that you and i have commented on before that you see in these films like there are moments of crisis and there's moments of like okay a happy little interlude like it's fun about the fact that they built up this little um oasis in this mine and kind of weird too but yeah uh, but they're having rational conversations and Yeah, but they they also mentioned John, the helicopter pilot mentions, he's like, look, yeah, this is our, it's like a trailer. Uh, It's, it's a, it's not actually very secure. He's like, it might not be as secure as down where all the soldiers are living and everything, but it's ours because they're basically right down the mine shaft from the zombie corral. Like if the zombies break out of that corral, they're in trouble. uh, These guys, yeah, it's a very thin trailer door between them and the zombies, but they're okay with that. Yeah. Um, but it just, the situation gets pretty out of control after this point though, pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For a few different reasons. I mean, they, they try to do another zombie, zombie corral exchange where again, Miguel is terrible. Miguel's just terrible. Terrible. and, And puts everybody in danger. And at this point he does get bitten. He gets bitten, and Greg Nicotero's character gets killed, yep. and uh, another guy, Private Miller, 
I'm not sure even who that was. I think that's there's two blonde guys with beards who die in this scene. And they look <laughs> an awful lot alike. So. One of them is Greg Nicotero. That's all I can tell you. Um, but you know, and, and it's then all they're... it's all Miguel's fault. It is, and but still, they're willing to like try to help him out. So so Sarah very you know, rationally cuts his arm off where he's been bitten. That scene is actually fu- pretty funny. Miguel's running away because he's been bitten on the arm and he's screaming because he's, that's Miguel's style, run away screaming. Sarah catches up with him, hits him on the head with a big flat rock. <laughs> right, <laughs> then, to knock him out so that she can then cut his arm off. Then cuts off his arm and then cauterizes it with a, like an open flame torch, which I'm pretty sure Wouldn't is not how you well. cauterize an arm. I'm pretty sure you need like to heat up metal and press it to the wound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, all she was doing was cooking the end of his arm, as far as I could tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, but though, again, I think that this is the sort of thing that shows what a badass she is. She doesn't really blink about doing this. She's no. just like, all right, we need to cauterize it. It was Let's a very Rick it. Grimes kind of moment there for her. It was. It was. Um, and, you know, it's just, at this point, I think, just we've realized that all hell is breaking loose. Yeah, like, now she, that the two more soldiers have died, you know that Rhodes is going to go apeshit because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was already pissed off about how many men he'd lost. Um, and the fact that Miguel, they've been calling him yellow and other racial epithets the whole film, they're going to come after him to kill him, which is actually smart because he's been bitten by a zombie and that's self-preservation. But it's also a little bit like a revenge killing it would it, at least that's how it kind of feels right and racially motivated yeah i mean and they i mean throughout this film and this is again uh, i think part and parcel with the romero film romero has a lot of racial epithet racial derogatory racial commentary um from different people in this case they they're making these comments about miguel and they have been throughout the film we saw that in um Dawn of the Dead as well, and we also saw it in Night of the Living Dead. So it's something that shows up as a theme in all of these films. Um, And in this case, I mean, I don't know that they even need to be upset with Miguel for any other reason other than that he's putting them in danger and he's very whiny and unstable, but that's not the whole reason why they don't like him, so... But Sarah, for some reason, sees a reason to uh, try to keep him alive, which I'm still not really I'm sure still I understand. Still not clear on that. Uh, so yeah, they they managed to talk the military down. So the condition of, of Miguel's survival is that he's left with uh, uh, John and Bill in their trailer, and Sarah is going back to to check on Frankenstein's work, I presume. It's not clear if she's going to check on the work or to just basically give them all a heads up that things are going badly. Because I yeah. think that that may part of, be part of her motivation being like, hey, guys, maybe we should think about <laughs> cutting out of here now. Um, and that yeah. doesn't go very well. <laughs> no, because she runs into uh, she realizes quickly that uh, what's going on that Frankenstein is basically feeding the dead soldiers' bodies to Bub as part of his uh, treats regimen. Right. And she's just like, what on earth are you doing? This is horrible. She and I think Bill is with her, right? She and Bill have this realization at the same time. And are like, oh, my God, what is he doing? Oh, I can't believe it. And then, of course, Rhodes walks in. And uh, he's like, oh. Yeah. This is bad. You're feeding him my soldiers. 
uh, they find the bodies of the soldiers in a cold storage unit, and he just summarily executes uh, Dr. Logan, who yep. up until now has been able to talk his way out of just about any potentially dangerous situation with his, uh, I'm a scientist voice, you know. But I have to tell you, he's a scientist and his little condescending way of presenting things to soldiers. I'm actually surprised that they didn't kill him before this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like, is there food? And uh, talking about his daddy's uh, social club and all this. Yeah, he's, he's definitely like from a very different cast of society than everybody else in this film. And he is not making anybody want to be on his side at all. So, no. Plus, he's always covered in blood. It's just pretty foul. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, so yeah, Frankenstein is dead, and um, the soldiers have basically announced that they're going to leave, and they're going to take the helicopter, and that they're they're getting out of here. Uh, so they disarm uh, Fisher and Bill and uh, Sarah, and they they're marching them back towards um, John's tra- John and Bill's trailer, where Miguel is still laid up, and. Uh, as they're approaching the trailer, John somehow knows something is up and he's out there with his Uzi and he's like, don't move. And then there's a standoff and then he gets disarmed too. I don't really understand the point of that other than getting him out of the trailer, I guess. I guess, but you and, know, it's... um, yeah. Rhodes also summarily executes, uh, Dr. Fisher, who that was kind of like, he had a few lines. He was a, a shoulder to like another scientific voice of reason, but he ultimately his character doesn't really have much, play in the film Value. and i think rose just didn't like his goatee either so it was messed up um and so yeah that guy is dead and that that's like that was a, a bargaining ch- or not a bargaining chip that was a way of him saying look i'm not messing around you drop your weapons uh, or i'm gonna kill the rest of these scientists and civilians which is basically right. just sarah at this point yeah um like, and of, of the two he probably should have just killed sarah because she was the most capable fisher seemed just like a sad sack and it wouldn't have been able to be much of a much of a problem for them well and also sarah has the the you know helicopter guys on her side um so that's kind of you know she has john and and bill so that i would have thought they would have been more worried about right yeah maybe that's a new development it certainly seems like they weren't that fond of her in the first scene of the film where they're like you're wasting our time and you know why why are you putting us in danger for her uh, crusade to find more survivors, which apparently just doesn't work. Um, and so basically now what the, the soldiers put them in the corral, uh, her and Bill, because I guess they've decided they don't need Bill after all. All they need, all they need, they is only John. need John. And John is like, look, you know, let them, let them go and I'll, I'll fly you wherever you want. And they just basically, um, ignore him. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they put they put uh, Sarah and and Bill basically into zombie pen. Uh, yeah, and everything kind of speeds up at this point in the film. So you've got John. Um, John has been essentially disarmed. St- Steel is told to go and beat him up um, so that it'll knock some sense back into him. I'm thinking like right before you want to take a helicopter flight, beating up the pilot not a great idea, but that's. That's what they wanted to do. So, uh, well, logic, logic, logic has kind of flown out the window here. People yeah. are a little bit spun up. They're they're upset. They're mad at John apparently. So, you know, and more racial epithets are also getting thrown around at this point. Um, right. And then you, Bill and Sarah have uh, Bill's picked up a two by four, 
and they've run off into the corral because, as we mentioned, it's really big and you can't see the back of it. And apparently there's like tunnels back there. So they're going for the tunnels. They hit a few zombies on their way out. Luckily, these are Romero zombies and very slow. They are very slow and they make noise, too. They give you a warning. Yeah, <laughs> so, they always moan so, right before they attack. So right before they grab you, they give you a heads up, um, which is very nice of them. Yeah. Um, and whilst and then back in the main tunnel, while Steel is still beating up John, we hear the uh, alarm from the elevator. Right. And we're like, what? Who could that possibly be? Everybody who's still alive is right here in this group. Oh, no, except for Miguel, because he's terrible. He is terrible, and he's basically figured out a way to make the elevator work and ripped out all the circuits so nobody else can make it work after he goes up above ground. Yeah, the hand control on the platform itself is the only control now. It seems like a terrible design flaw. Um, and, uh, yeah, he goes upstairs. Uh, now, Steel and Rickles have been dispatched to see what's going on with the elevator, which leaves just Captain Rhodes and poor, poor Private Torres... Um, who has been luckily free of racial epithets um, <laughs> to face off with John, and John decides to attack them with uh, some pretty cool dive moves. Yeah, they were good. He had some kung fu moves going on. John's John's a bit of a pimp, um, and he manages to overpower those two guys, and then uh, disarms them and runs into the tunnels after uh, Sarah and Bill. Killing zombies with uh, a lot of like very carefully posed moves. Do you, do you feel like you were watching? I don't know. It was very weird. Like he was doing weird things with his legs while he was shooting zombies, and like very well, he, he pronounced had a movements with his hand. Yeah, his stance. He had a was, stance. Like, very. I don't know. It, it seemed like something out of a science fiction book cover. It was also like um, it was. It reminded me a little bit of the most interesting men in the world ads. Like, when I kill zombies, this is how... I don't often kill zombies, but when I do, this is how I stand, you know? (laughs) My legs are really far apart and kind of bent, and my arms go way up above my head before I aim. And I pause for a really long time before (laughs) taking this thing out. So, yeah. Uh, Um, That was was pretty comical. um, Less comical is that... uh, Well, they, they all get together, Sarah, Bill, and John, and they find their way through the tunnel, long story short. Because there are some zombie scraps in there, too. Um, uh, but upstairs, Miguel goes up to the gate and unlocks it and lets in all the zombies. Well, runs... but he do... <laughs> what, he, go ahead. He, no, but he does it because and he like offers himself up to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's like I, I don't know if Romero thought that this was Miguel's character redeeming himself as not being a coward. But or it just doesn't being, make him any less terrible. <laughs> or just being super, super crazy, which is kind of what it feels like. Um, and thus begins our series of zombie decapitations, too. Because Miguel pretty much like runs in and the whole crowd of zombies starts to rip him apart. Yeah, uh, but not before he pushes the button on the elevator, which he has decided that's where he does wanted to die. And his whole plan was to bring all the zombies down into the yeah. complex. So. He pushes the down button, the elevator full of zombies uh, eats him, and then it's moving down into the uh, the base where Rickles and Steel <laughs> and eventually Torres and Rhodes are all there too. Uh, like, oh, hey, the but, elevator's coming down. Right, and did you notice the super creepy clown zombie? This zombie, the, the zombies that come in here, it's basically a total freak show. You got clown yeah. zombies, you got 
fisherman all, zombie all kinds of like they're yeah the zombies I, I felt like they almost went a little overboard with uh, you can't just have normal like people dress normally there was one guy in like a hospital gown with a broken arm and a sling i was like okay that one's believable but clowns and uh, all this other football players it, it got a little weird and apparently the fisherman zombie was like at that i think at the time he was the president of carnegie mellon get out yeah <laughs> like he wanted to be in the film i don't know if that is true but you know apparently I the uh, extra zombie extras were were uh, given one dollar and a hat that said i was a zombie in a george romero movie or something along those lines well that's a way to cut your budget, right? <laughs> yeah, and they had to, you know, be shipped out to this mine shaft in the middle of uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, uh, those those were the days of filmmaking. So uh, what? Yeah, what ensues here is um, Torres dying like a punk, like diving onto a, a pallet and then getting torn apart. Yeah, but you know what? He like really uh, that that was some pretty good effects in terms of the decapitations. This was pretty good. Yeah, there's a lot of this uh, eviscerating. Like the head is down at one end, and you're just looking at the the body, and they just tear it into the torso. Um, yeah, and I, you know, but in some ways, this whole you know vengeance upon the military. None of these people have made you like them, really. Like so, this is sort of like there is some satisfaction in watching them all get torn apart. Yeah, and the 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 way the order in which they're killed is also like depends on how much they've made you hate them. Torres, nobody, he hasn't really done anything. All he was done, doing was watering his weed plants at the beginning of the film, right. and you know he's been following orders from Rhodes. If that's like enough to get him a death that that is this gruesome, I guess. Uh, next up is Rickles of the hyena laugh and the yeehaws, kind of like little Roger from the last movie, and uh, he dies doing the yeehaws and the the hyena laughing. He does. He's he's gone a little crazy, but also gets torn apart. And he's a terrible shot. Like he 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 gets cornered by zombies and goes full auto with the M16, which you know is a pet peeve of mine. And then I know starts and, running also, back and forth and just like shooting really fast with his uh, with his 1911 and just doing like torso shots. Well, I didn't understand that. And also, he had things to climb up on. I know that they weren't the most solid things, but shouldn't you try to, like, get above them to be able to shoot them? The whole thing was a little strange. It didn't make sense to me. He no. just It was like he'd run to all zombies and be like, ah, I'm going to run in this direction. And then, ah, I'm going to run in this direction. It was really annoying. It yeah, it didn't make any sense at all. And, of course, the reason they're running is because Rhodes had already, Captain Rhodes had gotten on the golf cart and sped away at six miles an hour. Um, and they couldn't catch up. So it's it's kind of a disaster. Also, in the meantime, Bub has gotten out of his... Uh, he's, he's managed to undo the chain by pulling one tiny pin out of it that he was uh, attached to the wall with. Well, he's learned. He's learned a lot of things. He's a very smart zombie. One tiny pin. That's all I'm saying. It's like, come on, guys. He's a zombie. Let's... Uh, not secure. But he gets out and starts wandering around. Finds Frankenstein's body and and has he's a, not happy. He's, he's like, oh my god, that was my friend. And then he goes in search of vengeance with he a gun. Finds yeah, he finds uh, one of the guns that uh, had been taken off the scientists earlier, and he's wandering the halls as is Rhodes, who uh, well first Steel Steel manages to get through the hall, the, the entire hallway that Rhodes had uh, you know sped down on his golf cart. But Rhodes then locked the door when he got into the other, this other part of the complex. So now Steele is stuck outside of that. And he's also shooting his M16 on full auto. And 
taking a few shots. He's killing a lot of zombies because he's somehow the most capable of the soldiers, even though he's just this big thug. And then uh, he uh, he he breaks down the door and uh, goes into the the place. He's trying to kill Bub because Bub he runs into Bub and Bub has that that gun. I'm, I guess long story short, Steel goes out the kind of the way that well, this is a little dark. This is probably what I would have done: <laughs> is he takes himself out of the picture, but only after he's been bitten. Honestly, if I was any of these soldiers in the situation, it's like, oh god, two hundred zombies just came in downstairs. They're coming in through the corral. Um, let's just come up with a quick suicide pact. Well, I have to say, if if you're going to go out and all these scenes are coming in, I think that the way he chooses is a better way than being torn apart. Yeah, while you're still alive, which is how everybody else seems. I mean, Torres probably doesn't have a gun, but uh, Hyena guy, Rickles, definitely had a gun, but he decides instead he's just going to laugh his way out. But yeah. laughter's the best medicine, so maybe he had right. the right idea. Maybe he did. Um, and then, so once Steel is finished, then we've got Rhodes left. Yeah, and and all of his, like, uh, hard edge, I'm the boss kind of attitude has gone out the window, and he's just pure panic mode. I, I don't know exactly what his plan is. He goes into um, the barracks area, gets a gun and a couple magazines, doesn't load his weapon, continues just to run through the hallways. I'm not sure where he's going, you know, though. Me neither. I don't know what he has, what his plan is. I also think it's weird that he can't load his weapons. Right. Yeah. Why, like, why run into the hallway before you've just, all it takes is slam that magazine in and rack around in the chamber and put it on, you know, fire. But he doesn't even do that. And then he's got two magazines in one hand when he runs into Bub and he just can't get one in there. And Bub starts shooting at him and actually right. he gets shot I, three times. Yeah, and I should we we didn't I don't know that Bub Bub has some vestige of whatever he was, and one of the things that Doctor Frankenstein or Do, whatever his name was, Doctor Logan, um, finds out about him is that he's probably former military because he salutes and he can use a gun. So I guess that explains why his shot is so good. But it's pretty damn good considering that he has no muscle control. Yeah. Yeah, it's unrealistic. I don't know. I, I, this is a, a, the whole bub and learning zombies, and we've talked about this before when we talk about Fido. Yeah, I don't, not one I don't my, find not one it. one of my favorite al- elements of uh, Romero's canon. No, me neither. Um, I, I'd agree with you on that one. Um, yeah, so he, he gets uh, bub outshoots slash Rhodes can never load his weapon, but bub, uh, bub shoots Rhodes a bunch of times. Rhodes is screaming a lot. He tries to, <laughs> he opens a door and it's full of zombies and but puts one more round in him, and and then Rhodes gets uh, torn apart also while he's saying this thing over and over again. And while I was watching it, I couldn't understand what he was saying. It sounded like Russian or something. Uh, but it turns out he was saying choke on it or choke on them. Oh, weird. I, I couldn't figure it out, so I'm glad you figured it out. Well, I figured it out because somebody apparently took that soundbite and put it into a song. Ah, oh, nice. The song is called The Only Good God is a Dead God from the album Psychological Warfare Technology Systems by Terror Against Terror. Oh, So, yeah, that's, you know, that's that's a good album. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Bub, after he does this, just kind of wanders off again. And, um, you know, the, the, the scenes that follow this are the, you know, long long like shots of the intestines being eaten and the zombies being disgusting blood spurting up onto the wall yeah it's pretty gross um 
I can't imagine that this was fun to shoot for them. <laughs> it looks disgusting. It looks really nasty. I guess it's still just more barbecue, but uh, you know, slightly better film quality this time around. So I don't know if they could go exactly the same way, but yeah, lots of guts and lots of tearing and ripping and faces. Disgusting. Um, but you know, this leaves us with like three three survivors out of this, which is John, uh, Bill, and um, Sarah. Yeah, and they uh, they managed to escape because the tunnels that they were in lead to another abandoned complex somewhere else underground. Apparently, they I don't know. And uh, even though they're fighting off zombies the whole way, they managed to get above ground, and then they have to like get back into the fenced off compound luckily they have a key because that's just you know how prepared they are uh and then they're like well i sure hope they gassed up the helicopter <laughs> like i asked them to do the night before or the day before right and we have another crazy dream sequence where there's a zombie inside the helicopter when sarah opens the door but then she wakes up on a beach i don't know this beach bothers me it looks like it's it's very vulnerable so hopefully it's on an island and not just on the florida coast there are, yeah, this is very Floridian looking to me. There are these fir trees growing right up to the beach, basically. So, yeah, zombies could definitely walk out of there at a moment's notice. But it's okay, because Sarah's asleep, uh, Bill's feeding seagulls, and John is just fishing off the, sh- off the beach. Um, right. Which... And she, and she uh, wakes up and starts ticking off days on the calendar, which we're now into November, so they've gotten past the Day of the Dead. And apparently are moving on. Yeah. It, I, you know, the, the music is very light and uplifting. And this is supposed to be like the happy ending to the film. Um, but you can I mean, after the, the several minutes of gut eating we just watched, it's kind of hard to end this film feeling uh, like things are okay on any level. Right. Um, I mean, it's a much more hopeful ending than Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, because there they're running out of gas, but they're still, yeah, I guess it's kind of in the same vein. It's like, yeah, you know, we got no gas, but at least we're okay, and we're, out, we're we're flying away from that mall where terrible things just happened. And now this one, it's it's almost like they're trying to make it more of a permanent happy ending because they're on a, I don't know, like some of the descriptions I've read of synopsis at least say that this is like an uninfected island. There's no way for the audience to know that because it's just a beach. Um, right. But... Yeah, but the fact that they are in one place, even though they're just like camping out and they have a helicopter there, this is not a permanent solution in my in my opinion. Right, but hey, I guess better than hanging out underground, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the underground thing would have worked out. They probably still had a lot of supplies. If it wasn't for the pesky, uh, insane military and um, bringing the zombies into the compound... And the crazy doctor. I, there's a lot of elements that, that made the underground not work out. But I think, you know, the, the bunker is, uh, it's got to be a part of any real zombie survival scenario. No, you're right. As long as the people in the bunker aren't Miguel. Yeah. <laughs> or Rhodes. Um, but, I, you know, my thing is anytime you bring the zombies into your safe haven, that's just not going to end well. Yeah, exactly. So there's that. Um, how did you feel about the film overall in terms of the three that we've reviewed? Um, like ranking yeah. them. I know that critically this is this is the least highest rated 
84 it has an 84 percent approval rating on rotten it's tomatoes it's which is very bad. high it's very high but the others night of the living dead has a 96 and dawn of the dead has 94 so of the three it's definitely the the, the least well received and i think that my um yeah, my take on it is similar. I would put Dawn of the Dead above this, and uh, Night of the Living Dead. I'm not sure if I would put that above Dawn of the Dead. I think that they're kind of same in my head. I no, I agree overall. I think that there's some things I liked better about this. I liked that the characters were a lot more empowered, empowered to do what they were doing. Um, but I think that the the pacing and the whole story was a little, was a, not even a little, a lot weaker um, and less interesting to me. But, you know, as with all Romero films, people feel like they need to remake them, this. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I actually started to watch the, uh, there was apparently a remake in 2008. Uh, and once again, features Ving Rhames. He must really like the Romero films. That's my take on that. Um, but this particular remake, I wouldn't really call it a remake. I guess it was it had the same name, but it didn't really have any of the same story points or plot points. Um, I guess there's a bunker at some point, but there's a bunker, but I mean it's just it's not the same idea. Um, but apparently there is supposed to be a remake that is starting filming this year. Yeah, um, made by the same uh, people who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D. Can't speak yeah. to to how good that was, but they're they're at least touting it the, to be very uh, true to the original screenplay. Right. So I, you know, I'll I'll definitely see what they do with it. I'd be curious to see it. Um, you know, nothing nothing, no harm in in watching it and sort of seeing how it goes. Um, the two thousand eight remake was actually never even released in theaters, which doesn't bode well. Um, it was direct to DVD. So I don't really have high hopes for the rest of that film, but I'm willing to take a peek at it. Yeah. So that's our review of Day of the Dead. And uh, so overall, I think we both came out of it feeling fairly positive, although there are elements that made us super mad like Miguel. True. Um, I still think that we're suffering some PTSD from the zombie toilet lost episode. So pretty much anything that I'm watching now, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> By comparison, anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed watching this. Like I said, it was the first time I've watched the whole thing. I don't know how I've, I've caught it on TV or something before parts of it. So I knew, I knew about like the, the desperation in the bunker sort of feeling to it. But this was the first time I sat down and watched it all from, from start to finish. And uh, I'm glad that I feel like more complete in my Romero knowledge now that I've seen the whole thing. So... If you have any comments or suggestions for things you'd like to see us review or talk about on the show, you can reach us at reanimatedpodcast.com or on Twitter, we are reanimatedpcast. Um, that is the handle. And until next time, Stuart, enjoy things undead, I suppose. <laughs> Actually, I'm probably going to watch some uh, Teletubbies or you know something a little less depressing for a while. Zombie, zombie Teletubbies? No, not zombie Teletubbies. Uh, honestly, I, I finished watching Day of the Dead pretty late last night, and afterwards I needed a serious palate cleanser. So you watched Teletubbies? Unfortunately, no. Watch? I watched Banshee, which has so much violence that um, it was it didn't help. Hmm. There was a whole torture yeah. scene where a guy was torturing an Amish guy. Huh. That's 
That's yeah. not a very good palate cleanser. No, it didn't really work as a palate cleanser. The Amish um, guy really had it coming. He wasn't a good person. There are zombie Teletubbies on YouTube, just telling you. I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to tell you right now. All right, folks, that was Day of the Dead 1995. Hope you liked it. Check back with us again next time for some other content. Hopefully, it will be from 2022. Uh, That's my fervent wish. In the meantime, I'll bid you all adieu, good health, and catch you later.